and that's the that's the that's the more of our cultural background is more on the commanding level. So, uh, and that sometimes we take the precepts as if God had made them up, or the, the same attitude that we would, if from our Jewish or Christian uh, heritage. So precepts then are, are, you know, were developed from the human level and they're like agreements on behavior. So that in monastic community then this is how, this is the agreement. So that always puts limits. When you're living in a community then you, you, you know, you're you're not, you can't just live in, in your own way. You've got to consider others that you're sharing the community with, the, the property and, the, and so forth, that, that it's not no longer just what I want, what I want to do, and my view, and that is, is the thing that, you know, I determined to have my way, but one has to expand from the, just the very the kind of self-centered demand on life to take into account the needs of a of a of a larger group of people. So that's good for I found that's good for me because you know I'm basically incredibly selfish person, <laughs> and uh, uh, I like to have my own way and do what I want. Actually. <laughs> And uh, living in community means I've had to expand beyond that. Especially being the senior incumbent of a community, you know, you have to really uh, consider how to include how you, how my behavior, uh, my relationships are, so that they're. Because you you know whether you realize it or not you you empower me I've got tremendous power in this position so how to use power isn't it when you're in a powerful position unfortunately I'm not a, a I mean I don't see myself as as a power mad kind of type of person. I just soon not have it because, uh, you know, it would be uh, much easier to be a hermit <clears throat> because I'm so selfish and <laughs> and I could live as I want to and uh, not be caught in positions uh, of, um, that are threatening. Where in community life, there's always a bit of a threat in, in relating to others. Acceptance and rejection, emotions come up. And then power is, it can be very dangerous, as we all know. Once we get into a powerful position, we, we can, uh, you know, we get into controlling and trying to use the power, oftentimes with good intentions, but without any real wisdom or awareness involved in it. I've noticed Remember the story I like to tell about uh, in Vatnanachat years ago when I was there giving a fairly benevolent kind of junior monk 
he was kind of a nice guy, kind of monk, you know, easygoing and pleasant personality. And so we needed a, somebody to take charge of the stores. So we said, well, let's ask this monk. And so we asked him, and he said, yes, yes, I'll do it. And then he got control of the stores, and he became a credible tyrant. Power over the supplies, you know, he's a friend. It's my duty to protect all their toothpaste and soap. <laughs> and he suspected us all, I think even me, of trying to cheat and get something, you know, take advantage of the system. So he got into kind of a defensive position, a, a tyrannical storekeeper. We had to dump him. I had to exert power over here. <laughs> but it shows that this is an example of how, you know, when we do get in power positions, how easily we get into, you know, I think he was quite sincere in, in his attitude. It wasn't, uh, I didn't detect it. It was uh, something evil that he was trying to do, but he, he had this idea of being responsible for the items in the store, and he, you know, and he wasn't going to be uh, taken advantage of. He had, he had made his duty to protect these things so that they weren't just wasted. So it comes from even good intention. I'm responsible for the stores, and I know some of these monks are pretty irresponsible people, and you know, they just going to waste things. So I'm going to make sure that. You know, they have to have really good reasons to get anything out of me. And so coming from a sense of duty and responsibility and maybe precedences of that when we, we get into a position of authority. How, well, like I've seen it when I was uh, teaching school in uh, Saba, you know, I was uh, taught in a Chinese primary school two years and I first saw myself and here I was teaching little children you know about nine ten year old children who couldn't speak English and I could speak a little Malay we learned Malay in the Peace Corps and then uh, I could speak I was trying to revive my Mandarin I'd learned Mandarin before but we didn't have a really kind of common language that you know, we could really use all that well. So here I was with all a classroom filled with these Chinese kids with difficulty in communication. Then I found myself acting in a peculiar way. And even I found myself peculiar. And then I began to see that somehow I'd reverted back to a precedent when I was about that age of these old, old uh, kind of made school teachers we used to have that used to be very bossy. And it was, it was totally unintentional, you know, I didn't choose that, it just more or less happened because you could see the conditions were, were such that somehow the precedent, that somehow the mind goes back to some previous or similar experience. And, you know, I didn't particularly like, I have very unpleasant memories of those school teachers. <laughs> uh, 
in primary school in America. <clears throat> and I found myself becoming one of them. Just and not of intention, but because I didn't know how to. And never been in a situation like that before, teaching small child, Chinese children who couldn't speak English. And so, out of just some, how the mind works, they, they, it can easily revert to a, a precedent maybe in my own life when I was that age, emulating what I, how I saw the school teachers that I had then. Once I could see it, I could drop it, you know, and then trust more my intuitive sense rather than just try to emulate uh, teachers, school teachers that I'd known before. So it's like we're creatures of habit, and we we can, you know, you can see in your own life how you know you often wonder why. Uh, pedophiles or child abusers when they you know they 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 found out they were abused when they were children and and you'd think you wouldn't want to do that and yet sometimes that's the only thing you know how to do you know the 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 pattern has been established at an early age for behavior uh, and so for, for sexual behavior or for authority or power, any of these things. And then we, we, even though we may not, you know, even want to be that way, that tends to be what we tend to incline toward easily. Now this is just for reflection. I'm not, is it, this is just consideration. So how we keep the precepts too can be from a very, you know, fear of punishment, uh, of the, you know, breaking precepts and going to hell for it, or because they're we we still might perceive them as commandments from above. But notice, like just a few minutes ago, when I gave the eight precepts. It, it's the asking for them. So that like the lay people have to ask for the precepts. I can't just say, okay, you've got to take the precepts and can become out like God from above and thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. <laughs> but uh, it's like a, a request uh, to be given the precepts. And the precepts are guidelines and now, just psychologically, how does that, you know, affect you? If you ask for something rather than than me coming from a power position telling you what you've got to do, and the relationship's different then, isn't it? From me being the authority figure that knows what's good for you and telling you how you've got to behave here in this monastery. That's like the old school teacher punishing when you're punishing you when you're naughty and don't behave and rewarding you when you're good carrot and stick kind of conditioning <clears throat> or you know in terms of the Buddhist approach the request the 
asking for precepts, recognizing that that's a form you'd like to respect or you'd like to try out the guidelines uh, in regards to the eight precepts living here in this community. So you can reflect from that. Just, you know, the, when you take, put limitations on behavior, you know, you, and, and you're voluntarily doing it. You're, you're seeking that limitation. You're asking for the precepts. Then, then it's not a form of tyranny, is it? It's to be used for mindfulness. It's not to, not for me to make you intimidate you into obeying the precepts, and to punish you when you don't, or scold you, or chastise you. But it's like uh, acknowledge, empowering you with for your own ability to to ask for something like that and use it skillfully for development, or for pavana, for meditation, for living in communi community together. So, as you all know, living in a community, we affect each other in various ways. I've often reflected on, you know, how, how nice it is to live in monastic communities, or being a Buddhist monk, you know, everywhere I go, I just meet Buddhists. So I can go any country, any country. I don't just go any old place. I go and invited. So, you know, I'm in many countries. I only meet Buddhists. In Norway, I met the Buddhists. To me, Norway is a Buddhist country. <laughs> I've only been in England as a Buddhist monk. So the majority of people I met are Buddhists in this country, so to me Britain is a Buddhist country <laughs> in terms of my experience with, the, with, the, with who, you know, the people I meet, or they're interested in it anyway. And then that gives us a common interest, doesn't it? It, it gives us something that we all respect. And uh, and it brings out our better side, isn't it? We, when we when we see Buddhism as our kind of aspiration, or our, you know, our our faith or our trust lies in in that direction, and and we share that, then there's something that we that is very precious that we have in common that we all share. So that that's a quite a bonding experience, really. Because we're not here for for other reasons. Usually, people that come for other reasons don't don't want to stay, don't want to keep the precepts. But in spite of all that, living with the people that we have this common goal and commitment and uh, so forth, it's still amazing how angry and so forth one can get towards some of the members <laughs> or how threatened one can be or how repelled or how irritated or whatever that, that one might have in regards to the people in the community <laughs> on a personal level 
because personalities are different. So recognizing the common ground that we share, let's say the, the sila, uh, the refuge in Buddha, Dhamma Sangha, Dhamma Vinaya, these are, these are all the, the, the agreement or the common ground that we all share with living here at Amaravati. Then, then, the, then it helps to reflect the differences, the reactions, well, personal and uh, inside, internal and external. You know how we we see each other, relate to the hierarchical structure of the of the community, or uh, relate to uh, you know a lot of people have problems around seniority and uh, positions and and uh, functions and there's jealousies and there's envy and then there's fears and threats and so forth that uh, is, when you're putting boundaries on behavior there's always there can be a sense of being suffocated that's what I used to feel at Wat Pong in the early days I felt suffocated felt this oppressive form of vinya coming down and just like smothering me because I didn't didn't particularly even though I agreed to the boundaries and I was all for it emotionally I wasn't very well very well equipped with for it that's what I needed you know I needed to grow up emotionally I, emotionally I was I wasn't a very wasn't very developed Intellectually, good enough, you know. So I could appreciate Buddhism, the uh, the intellectual side of it, the the ideals of it, the the conventions of it. I could appreciate intellectually. You know, no problem around that. <clears throat> I liked Wat Ba Pong very much. I liked Lung Po Cha very much. I admired him. The monks I lived with were all, you know, good monks. I mean, there was, like, there wasn't any, they, you know, I had personal reactions to them, but on the level of their monastic commitment, we were, they were all very good. So this, this helped to reflect, this, this form helped to reflect this emotional reaction to uh, the conditions I was living in. And that's what, where Ajahn Chah's genius lay in getting me to see this. Because, uh, even, you know, for the first year I, could, I couldn't ever, I hardly understand anything except the most basic tie. You know, and, and he would, he could give very long days in us in the Isan dialect. <laughs> And I just didn't know what there was going on. But, uh, and, and yet, the form, he demanded that I keep within the form, so I had to endure sitting, listening to four-hour desana that I couldn't understand anything. You know, sitting in the polite Thai posture, which was agonizing at first. So, 
this brought up emotionally, you know, and I tried to get out of it and say, you know, I, you know, I should be allowed, since I don't understand the language, could I take the time to go back to my kuti and meditate? It's more valuable for me to, you know, it seemed incredibly reasonable request. <laughs> since I don't understand, and, and uh, so when I just suffer a lot of physical pain, it seems only fair that you let me, you know, I could just go back to my kuti and, and practice. I said, no. <laughs> so, uh, so I, uh, I submitted to that. And then, um, then the, uh, the determination, you know, and it brought up strong emotions. Because, uh, you know, when you're, you know, it seemed unfair to me even. It didn't seem even fair. And that, you know, that how important that is to a Western person, being fair. Or reasonable. It wasn't even being reasonable because I thought I was being reasonable. Because it is reasonable. I, you know, why? You can't understand what he's saying. You can't appreciate the great wisdom that's flowing out. And all it does is make you angry. <laughs> And then I began to recognize that's what he just wanted me to see. <laughs> the emotions. Rather than, than, you know, understand in detail all his profound wisdom is actually getting me to look at what I was actually feeling, you know, not just being fascinated and delighted by the, his insight and his teaching, which when I began learned Thai and understood the dialect better than I could appreciate what he was saying, which, which was really nice. You know, he said he had a very excellent way of teaching Dhamma. But then the teaching was, it was an ongoing thing, wasn't, didn't depend on the language. Because it was much more practical and real than just understanding Buddhist ideas or Lung Po Cha's style of teaching. And so this was, this anger would would uh, I'd be sitting there, you know, just so angry with him. Uh, and eventually, you know, it's, uh, you know, and all these little immature things would come up in my mind, like I'm leaving. I'm going to leave. I mean, I've had enough of this. This is stupid. He's just. He's just trying to humiliate me, just trying to take advantage of me. And, uh, you know, I can leave any time I want. And who does he think he is? And I get really into being nasty. Thinking, he thinks he's a great teacher, doesn't he? And <laughs> and then he was very humorous, and then people start laughing, and then I... That make me even more angry. I didn't understand why. Uh, look at all those stupid people just laughing and jokes and foolishness. Probably not even anything serious. And so it brought out a real kind of nasty side of me uh, into consciousness. But then I began to recognize it. And I began to see that 
that that I was creating this. Because I could reflect all this, these, these very, you know, these really very childish emotions. Like I'm going to leave. I don't have to put up with it. That's what you, that was I did when I was a kid. You know, and uh, I'm on my own way, and uh, it's a waste of time. It's not fair, and, and I could justify leaving. Even thought, you know, I'm going to really punish Ajahn Chah. I'm going to leave, you know, as if, as if that would really break his heart. <laughs> you know, how conceited one is, you know. I'm so, such a catch that if I leave, it'll just really upset him and hurt him and I want to get even. I could see through this, these kind of childish uh, reactions. And I ask myself, do I want to be that kind of a person? Do I want to perpetuate this this kind of stuff in my life? You know, because uh, you know, if I keep acting on it or believing it, then I become like that. I, I keep, I'll never get beyond it. I'll never be free from it. I'll just keep reproducing the same thing till I die. Every time I go in a classroom of kids, I start becoming a, an old nag of a teacher, or I'll just keep repeating, <laughs> keep repeating the same things over and over through a lifetime. So then the the reflection, you know, of, of uh, I began to, you know, just contemplate this, like in the. Yoni Somanasikara style, getting to the roots of the thing, thing that, you know, the, the getting to the root, not analyzing, but beginning to just notice and stay with the emotional uh, turmoil I was in. And then it was interesting, so many times, you know, he'd be going on and I was, and then you start looking, you know, at the clock. And they always had these chiming clocks. People love to give and Thai temples, these chiming clocks, and they were never synchronized. <laughs> and so you'd hear these these little tunes they play, and then when's it going to stop? You know. And then uh, uh, you kept waiting, and then you think, no, it's it's nearly ended. And then you'd go on for another half hour. And so you'd be watching the clock, <clears throat> began to notice how the suffering I created by watching the clock, that time seemed to go by very, very slow when I was watching the clock and, uh, and waiting, you know, when is he going to stop? This is enough. And then look at the time. I could use my time better if I went back to my kuti and sat in developing samadhi. And uh, rather than wasting my time here, look at the clock. And then the, these perceptions, I began to notice the, just that kind of mind, those mental creations of mine were the suffering themselves. I was creating suffering all, you know, all the time during this. But I never recognizing what I was doing, but merely believing in, in my own emotional reaction. 
and feeling quite justified, you know, feeling I'm right. And I'm sure if I, some, some other Westerner came at that time and I'd explained to him or her about how I'm being treated, I could get them to agree with me. It's unfair. You know, they can't expect me to, you know, I'm not, I'm, if I'm a Westerner, I'm an American, I'm not used to this. Good reasons, you know. All very good reasons for, that I felt were, you know, should be respected. But what I learned beyond that was something more, you know, how that that these that my attachment to even my good reasons and my justifications, no matter how reasonable and fair they might seem, that I I was always suffering from them. I just created as the cause of suffering through this ignorance and attachment to even reasonableness and fairness. I was. I was uh, suffering. Attachment to, to time, you know, when is he going to stop? This is too much. You know, you don't, Dhamma is something, you know, succinct. You just, you know, like that. You don't go on for hours. And, uh, <laughs> why couldn't he be a Zen master and just say two words and you, you've got it, you know. Rattle on for four or five hours. So, uh, and you know, I was very right. I was right, reasonable, true. But even being attached to being right, reasonable, and true is suffering. You notice how righteous people suffer a lot. Like, People that are attached to being right and good and proper and, and all that, they suffer a lot because, uh, you know, it's, it's, they get so upset when they see things aren't being fair or just or aren't good enough or, and you get, you get into a real huff about it, you know, you get really angry about how other people behave and because not because goodness or rightness is wrong, but it's the blind attachment to anything, isn't it? It's the avicca, bhajaya, sankara, the ignorance, and what we create out of ignorance, the sankaras we create out of ignorance, affect consciousness. So if I start right now from ignorance, and you know, it's not fair, I can't stand this, I'm leaving. Uh, you know, and I don't see what I'm doing. If I, do, I can't reflect on that itself, then the sankaras, you know, they come from that feeling of, of anger and resentment, affect my consciousness in that moment, in this moment. Affects. And so how I see things through that, through the nama rupa, salayatana, pasa, vedana, uh, upatana, and so forth, is, uh, it goes to goes right into soka pariteva tukatomanasa upayasa, grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish. There's a paticca samupada. 
<laughs> so, and it just seems, you know, it's just you can prove it, you know, that, that the suffering is the result of ignorance. So then the insight comes that why start out with ignorance? You know, why should I, if I always start with ignorance as my modus operandi, then uh, I'm always going to end up with suffering. So even if I'm right and reasonable, you know, and good and honest and sincere and loyal and kind and generous, <laughs> still suffering. <laughs> Because uh, Avicca has never been, you know, has been the the, the uh, starting point. That's where I I'm attached to ignorance, and and the result of that affects everything else. So then, the, what is the way out of ignorance? Is awareness. So that means this uh, sati sampachanya satipanya, the awareness is not ignorant, is not a vicha. Simple as that. So, so then I've had enough, you know, it's not being fair, not really being considerate and sensitive to my feelings. awareness of that as a you know as a condition that I'm creating the reaction to, to something uh, that I don't like you know there's a desire to get away from it the whippa would done her trying to get run away from pain and 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 boredom and unpleasantness and anger so that's where the Awareness is the, uh, or appamado amatapadang, heedfulness is the path to the deathless. Appamado is being aware here and now. Appamado amatapadang is the way to amata, the deathless path, padang. Pamado matuno padang. Pamado is the uh, is the is heedlessness, not being awake, not being aware. Pamado is matuno padang is the path to death. Matuno is the death path. So, I mean, this is from Dhammapada, you know. So that, that this is a very I found very useful reflection. Appamado amatapadang, pamado machunopadang, appamadana bnt, and that uh, is is like heedfulness or awareness is never never dying, is not death, not dying. Ye pamada yatamata, but uh, heedlessness 
ignorance is like dying every moment. <laughs> you know? So this this is this is a, one of the verses of Dhammapada I really used as a reflection for many years. To die in every moment, like Ye Pamada, that which is heedless, is the same as dying, same as death. So, and it is, you know, when one is attached to dead things, you're dead. When I'm attached to ignorance, I'm the same as dead at that moment, because it's a dead thing. You know, it's a, it's an old habit. It's a, it's a, you know, it has no no spirit, no life, no essence to it. It's just a repetition of something, you know, just a habitual thing that arises and ceases. So when I'm attached to ignorance, I'm the same as dead man, really. And you can see people. People are just walking dead men, a lot of them, because they, you know, they're just attached to habits and and uh, things that die all the time. You know, there's no liberation, no no life in them, no real sense of of joy or presence. But one, as you get older, you get more entrenched in these habits. So it, you can see with, with older people that have never awakened how, you know, how dull life gets for them. They say, start repeating the same things over and over. Living back in the past. When I was a young guy, my mommy man, I remember. And of course, when you think when you, you know about the future, you don't want to think about the future when you're old. You know what that means? Future, death, <laughs> and you're already attached to it. You know, you're hanging on like crazy to something that's dead already, and you don't know it. So that's really avicca, isn't it? That's real ignorance. So, so this uh, reflection on on the, you know, the, how to use conventions, uh, how to use situations or relationships and so forth for awakening. So that you're, you're coming from awareness rather than from avicca. So then, what is awareness? <laughs> and so, like, like if I, if I'm, say, in that scenario, Ajahn Chah's going on for five hours, and I'm sitting here thinking, this isn't fair. I've had enough. I'm leaving. I'm aware of that. You know, I, I awaken to even my own thoughts or my, the anger that I'm experiencing in the present is like this. It goes back into a beach if I start feeling guilty about it. You know, I shouldn't. I, you know, I should respect the teacher, and I shouldn't think bad thoughts about the teacher. He's a great man, and 
he's enlightened being and I and then it get I go back into avicca even though uh, you know I'm giving myself very good advice about how I should respect the teacher that's good advice I'm fed up with that old fart I'm leaving is not very skillful <laughs> so <laughs> that's not that's not a skillful thought I should respect the teacher is skillful but until I get in, till I trust in the awareness, then, then uh, just suppressing anger through through positive thinking, you know, it, it has a kind of temporary relief, but it it doesn't get to the root. It's not yoniso manasikara. The getting to the root then is is learning to trust in this very natural simplicity of awakened attention in the present. The, the, the feeling of physical discomfort or men, emotional anguish or whatever. Whatever it is, it's not the point, is it? Not that, but whether you're feeling happy and fulfilled or miserable and depressed, but in the awareness, it's like this. So then we have all conditions are impermanent, and uh, you know, anicca dukkanata. This is a reflection on the way things are, and as you, as you patiently accept things as they are, you, you're aware. You're not. You're not creating anything onto them so that you, you're very much aware of their changingness, their Nietzscheness. So I could see, you know, I can't stand this anymore, I've had enough, I'm leaving. I'd hear myself thinking that. And then I'd recognize, but I'm standing it, aren't I? You know, I'm, look, <laughs> I can bear this. You know, so I could, you know, you know, just by being honest with myself, by trusting in this awareness that the, that the uh, anger, the resentment, is like this. It, 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 when you really see it, it dissolves. There's nothing, it doesn't have any core to it, any substance. It's just like foam on the sea, soap bubbles, mist, clouds in the sky. So you see what I mean? It's not, there's a, you know, if you're going to, if you if you don't want to do this, then try to think positively, and inspire your mind about how you should love and respect the teacher and be grateful for having a, such a good teacher and all this. You know, that's that's one way, but it's not liberating that way. But it's better than just going around 
thinking how awful the teacher is and how insensitive he or she is to your needs and grumble, grumble, grumble all the time. But in awareness, then both can be seen, you know, like, you know, more and more as I saw through the, the reaction, the resistance to Ajahn Chah, the, the uh, childishness of when I didn't get what I want, wanting to go, go away. When I saw through that, and then, then I began, then the more positive side, I began to really feel trust and respect for him on a personal level. It wasn't just, you know, because I was supposed to do that. You know, a good monk should respect his teacher is what you're supposed to do. But it was coming from a wisdom of understanding rather than uh, a dutifulness that can be as dead as anything else. So... I offer this as a reflection for this evening. <laughs>